I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Jay Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and uh, so glad that you've joined us for our service this morning. Hope you're encouraged in your faith and, and uh, connection to God and meet some people and all that good stuff. But uh, got a, got a you know, little announcement here, in case you don't know. Uh, Marvel Comics movie Infinity Wars comes out on Friday. I don't know if any of y'all are excited about that. I think some of y'all might be. Some of y'all are like, I don't get into that kind of stuff. That's okay. Uh, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I, you know, I keep up with them. I watch the movies. I'm not a diehard fan. But, but it, it's worth noting that that's like, I think it's the 19th movie in the Marvel comic franchise. Like for the last 10 years, over a decade, like it's been building to this one movie which is pretty wild, right? So, I mean, a lot of people are going to go see it. In fact, it's estimated that it's going to make over $200 million on opening weekend, which is a lot of money. And um, if it does make over $200 million on opening weekend, it will be just the sixth movie ever to make $200 million opening weekend, joining two other Marvel movies, uh, Black Panther and The Avengers, along with two other Star Wars movies, the last two Star Wars movies, and then a Jurassic Park movie. So anyways, all that, yes, just, that's for free. That's just now you know, you know, uh, trivia night, you might get that answer right. But um, I point that out because I, I think that that shows, it just, I mean, it, there's something that that says about us, right? That like, we like watching great movies or movies with like grand narratives, with epic adventures, with big heroes. And we, we like great stories. We like watching them. We like, we like uh, you know, being swept up in them. And, and I think that that all points to the fact that we also like long to live those kind of great stories where there's something in us that resonates. And it's like, there's got to be a reason why movies like, or, or stories like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and all the Marvel movies, Star Wars movies, on and on. Like there's, those like, like strike a chord within us. Like there's something in us that most people kind of resonate with and say, man, I, I just like that. There's something about that. I just want to get swept up in a great story. One of my favorite books is a book by uh, Donald Miller that's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in that book, he starts it off this way. Let me read it for you. He says, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put a record on to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember the movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Because nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to feel meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. I love, love that quote. It's, it's really stuck with me throughout the years ever since I read that. It, it, it begs the question, are you living a great story? You know, are you living a great story? Donald Miller goes on in his book to explain that the, the basic, like most rudimentary building blocks of a great story is someone who wants something of value and has to overcome conflict to get it. And simply, the more significant or valuable the thing is that they want, and the harder the obstacles are that they have to overcome in order to achieve it or, or acquire it or whatever it is, the, the better the story. 
And it's why, uh, you know, stories, movies of a guy who want a Volvo have never made $200 million on opening weekend, but stories about people saving the universe or the world often do, right? It's interesting, right? Are you living a great story? If you had to say right now what it is that you're living for, I mean, if you had to right now say, okay, this is the thing that I want, and I'm having to overcome obstacles to get it, what would your answer be? Would you have an answer? Or if you have an answer, is it closer to the save the galaxy side of things or the Volvo side of things? Are you living a great story? Today, we're going to wrap up this uh, series that we've been in for the last four weeks today, the fifth week, and this Meals with Jesus series. And uh, to close it out, we're going to look at a time when Jesus invites an incredibly unlikely guy to play a key part in the, and I'm not exaggerating here, most significant story of all time. And what we're going to see is, is how this guy responds to that invitation. And what I hope God will impress on you today is that he invites each one of us to play a key part in this same story. To live for more than the weekend or a Volvo or your next vacation, that he invites each of us to live eternally significant lives no matter who we are. And hear this, no matter what we've done or even what we are currently doing right now. And so uh, to show you this, one of the main places in Scripture where God makes this point really clear is is in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. So if you want to go there in your Bible, uh, you can pull that up. I'll also have the words up on the screen. You can follow along that way. But um, what we're going to do is in this passage we're going to look at, this last passage that we're looking at in this series, we're going to ask the text three big questions, right? And these are the three questions. Who can follow Jesus? What results from following Jesus, and why follow Jesus. So let's begin with who can follow Jesus. So we're going to look at Luke 5, verse 27. Now, before I get into it, let me just set the stage real quick, because in this text, right off the bat, Jesus is going to answer the question, who can follow him? And so it's helpful to know that, that this passage that we're looking at, it happens at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right when he's kind of going public in his ministry. And uh, the beginning of chapter 5 is when he called his very first disciples, Peter, J- Peter uh, James, and John. And then uh, he's done a couple of different miracles, healing people. Uh, right, off, right, right before the verse we're going to read, he just healed the, the paralytic. Some of you are familiar with that story, like ripping open the roof and dropping down and all that. It's cool. It's a great story. That has just happened. So the word's getting out. People are getting, you know, Jesus is, is gaining popularity. People are hearing who he is, and he's, you know, he's healing people and all sorts of people are curious about him. And then we read this. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27 says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Okay, now let me just stop there because uh, this sentence right here confronts a a very common misconception about what kind of person Jesus wants to be with. It's a very common, it confronts a common misconception about what kind of person that Jesus would want to interact with. 
And even more, a misconception about what kind of person Jesus would want to partner with to minister to other people. But in order for you to kind of get how this verse right here confronts that, you have to understand how significant it is that Levi was a tax collector. Okay, so let me talk a little bit about this. Some of y'all might be familiar with this. Some of y'all might not. But uh, tax collectors in that day and age were like the worst of the worst in the eyes of the, of the Jews. So in, in Jerusalem and in, in Israel, like they, they think that uh, a, a tax collector was someone who, one, they had, they had sided with the Romans, which was a big deal because Israel, I mean, throughout their history, they, they had been their God's chosen people and God was giving them the land, giving them Israel, and then God was going to rule from there and, and, and all this stuff. They thought like they had to be a free people for them to fulfill what God had promised to them, and yet they were being occupied by the Romans. The Romans were the enemies. But tax collectors were Jewish guys who decided to not side with their people but to side with the Romans. And so they were viewed as traitors, collaborators with the Romans instead of sticking with their people. So that was bad. But then tax collectors, even worse, they would use the power of the Roman government in order to levy higher taxes on the people than what they had to do. And so in that sense, they were cheating and stealing from their own people. They would not just charge them the actual tax, but they would charge extra. And so they're thieves, they're, they're cheats, they're, you know, whatever, they're stealing. I don't know how many of y'all actually procrastinated all the way to the end of paying your taxes this last week. Uh, I did it the week before, so I didn't quite procrastinate all the way in. But, you know, paying your taxes, uh, if you actually have to pay, uh, um, not fun. But what's worse is if you're having, you know you're having to pay more than what you actually are supposed to, but this guy is making you do that. He's a cheat. He's a fraud. He's a traitor. I mean, people hated tax collectors. But there's one more reason why people hated tax collectors so much. It's because... I kind of alluded to it a minute ago, but in the, in the minds of the Jews of that day, God was going to return and God was going to set up his kingdom from Jerusalem. And in order to do that, God would have to defeat the Romans because they were the occupying force in Jerusalem. And so in order for God to fulfill his promises, he'd have to defeat the Romans, which makes the Romans what in their eyes? The enemies of God, right? And so a tax collector who was a Jew who then decides to collaborate with the Romans and cheat and steal from his own people wasn't just a traitor to, the, to his Jewish community and wasn't just a thief and a, a cheat. But he was the enemy of God. I mean, that's how they viewed tax collectors. To the point, and I love this, you'll see this later in this passage, when people would talk about the, 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 you know, the, the, the bad people, they would use the phrase, the tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> and I love that because they wouldn't just call them the sinners, they actually didn't want to offend the sinners by grouping the tax, co tax collectors with them. It's like, yeah, I mean, they're sinners, but then there's the tax collectors. They get their own category. Again, seriously, friends, they were the worst of the worst in the eyes of the Jewish people. 
And yet, Jesus walks up to Levi while he is working. Actually, in the moment of collecting taxes and says, follow me. And guys, his invitation to follow him was not simply an invitation to trust in him. Like this wasn't believe in me. In fact, Levi, he probably doesn't yet understand who Jesus is fully. But in one way, you could say that this invitation was, he goes even beyond belief. Like this is an invitation to follow. I mean, that's what he says, right? Follow me. Now think about this. What was this invitation specifically? Well, we know from Scripture that this invitation was Jesus inviting Levi, the tax collector, to become one of his disciples. And Levi will later find out that Levi's name is also Matthew. And so you all might know Levi or Matthew, same guy. Levi is probably a Hebraic name. Matthew is Greek name. Anyways, same guy. The guy who wrote the first gospel account of Jesus' life in the, in the Bible. The New Testament starts with the book of Matthew. That's this guy. And that Jesus invites him, like, isn't that wild? To follow me to be his disciple. Now think about this, friends. Jesus, you could say, had two major missions in his life. They're related, but you could draw a distinction. The, the first is the one that kind of we all think about, if you're familiar with Jesus, and that's that he came to live and die and rise again in order to make the way for us to be reconciled to God. That's, that's a big one. That's a big mission. So he, that was you know, one of his primary things. But there, he had another mission. And that was to make sure that when he died and when he rose again and, and so made the way for it's possible for us to be reconciled to God through faith in him, when he did that, his other mission was to make sure that the news of that got out. I mean, it's like it just happened in a corner of the world and no one knew about it. That would not be helpful. So he had the other mission. To make sure that when he dies and he rises again, the word with that would travel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and from generation to generation to generation to get to us and beyond us. Two missions. His mission to get the word out about him, friends, what we see in Scripture, the way, the primary way he went about accomplishing that mission was by picking 12 guys to be his disciples. He spent the vast majority of his time with these 12 guys, teaching them, training them, discipling them, so that when he died and when he rose again, and he stood before them in his resurrection body, and he would say to them, what? Go and do with others what I have done with you. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So that what? For you know, all nations. So this gets out to all nations. This is Jesus' method to get the gospel, the good news of, the, of what he's accomplished on the cross, to everybody. And in light of that, if you're Jesus and you're picking your 12, knowing that this is your method to get the good news of the gospel out to the whole world, are you picking Levi? I'm not. I'm not picking the guy that everybody hates. I'm not picking the guy who's the enemy of God. I'm not, I mean, I'm picking the popular guy. I'm picking the guy that everyone loves. 
I'm picking the first century Jewish version of Tim Tebow or Steph Curry. I'm, I'm, I'm picking someone like that, right? But Jesus saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Guys, here's what that means for you and for me. It means that no matter who you are, and it means no matter what you have done or what you are currently doing, like don't miss the fact that Levi is sitting in his tax booth. He is functionally doing the very thing that makes everybody hate him. And that's where Jesus walks up to him. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you are currently doing, Jesus' invitation to follow him is extended to you. And that invitation is an invitation to be a part, to join him, to partner with him in what he is doing to redeem the world, to restore the world to God. It's an invitation to be a part of the most significant, the most eternally significant story of all time. It's not just, hey, I'll let you be on the outskirts and I'll say something good about you one day. It's like, no, no, no. I want you, no matter who you are, what you've done or what you're doing, I want you with me to play a key part in what I'm doing in the world. Because who can follow Jesus? Everyone. Anyone. And in case that's not clear, that, that includes you. That includes you. That Jesus invites you to partner with him. That he doesn't just... I mean, it's it's not just that you would, he invites you to believe in him, though that's huge and so important and so very foundational. But but it's beyond that. Like, I want you to play a key role with me. Now, do you feel like, I hope that that feels weighty to you. Like, that's a grace that goes beyond, like, I will associate with you to, like, I want to link arms with you. I want to invite you to be a key role player, significant part in, this, in what I'm doing in this world. If you've ever thought that you are disqualified from being used by God, if you ever counted yourself out and thought, man, God would never have, want to have anything to do with me, and he certainly wouldn't let me partner with him to minister to others, if you've ever thought that, man, let, let Luke 5.27 confront that misconception. If God would call Levi, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples, he'll call you to also join with him in the most meaningful story of all time, to partner with him in that way. So that's the first question. Who can follow Jesus? Let's ask the second question, which is what results from following Jesus? Because what we find out after verse 27, verse 28, we see how Uh, Levi responds, and he says this, And Levi got up, left everything, 
and followed him. Now, that's a big statement, right? So he's like, all right, Jesus, you're inviting me, I'm in. And so he just leaves right there, leaves everything, and begins following him. Now, without looking ahead in your, in your Bible, though you might already have, but uh, if you were just to guess, okay, what do you think would happen next? What results from Levi's decision to follow Jesus? Like verse 29 begins, then Levi. So what do you think follows? Then Levi does what? What follows in your mind with the decision to follow Jesus? Perhaps some of us would think that it would end this way. Then Levi joined Jesus' weekly Bible study. Right? I mean, I'm in. Let's go to the Bible study. Or how about this? Then Levi Follow Jesus into the temple for evening worship service. All right, I'm going to go attend a worship service. Or this. Then Levi vowed to stop hanging out with his old group of tax-collecting friends. Get away from those guys. And of course, it doesn't say any of those things. But honestly, like when you think about it, how would you answer that question? What's the first thing that you connect following Jesus the first thing. I mean, there's a lot of things, right, that come with it. But the very first thing, you think, okay, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus, then that means I'm going to... What's the first thing? I mean, a lot of us think, I mean, we think, yeah, I'm going to, I got to read the Bible or, and, and pray and, and, and attend a worship service and uh, get together with other Christians and, and help me grow in my faith. And like, let me hear you. Hear me say this. Those are great things. Highly recommend you do all of those things. This is really beneficial. It's really, really good. But guys, when Jesus calls us to follow him, doesn't that imply that he's going somewhere? That he's doing something? And if the very first thing we don't connect to following Jesus is actually following him, like going where he's going, doing what he's doing, then perhaps we've kind of miss something, right? And it's in the book of Luke later on that Jesus would say just super succinctly, super clearly, here's what I'm up to. He says that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He says, this is what I'm doing. And to follow me would imply that the very first connection would be, okay, I'm doing that. I mean, when Jesus first called his disciples in earlier in Luke chapter 5, when he calls Peter, James, and John, famously, y'all remember what the call is? Follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or if you memorize it old school, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. What's the connection? Follow me, and the first thing he connects it to is going to fish for people. Seeking and saving the lost. And guys, man, Bible studies, personal quiet times, prayer, gathering for worship, great, great things. Those things will bring worship, worship to God and help us grow in our understanding of who he is and his love for us, will compel us to go with him, compel us to live for him. I mean, it's, there's so many good things about all of that. But guys, if you reduce following Jesus to those things, then you've missed the first thing. That Jesus connects following him to. Now, Levi, he doesn't miss the first thing that Jesus connects it to. So look what happens. This is actually how verse 29 reads. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd 
of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So what results from Levi's decision to follow Jesus? He throws a giant dinner party. And he says, you know what? Okay, if Jesus would accept me and love me, invite me to be a part of what he's doing, like this is amazing. What I got to do is I got to get him together with a lot of my friends. Because if he's come to seek and save the lost people like me, well, I know a lot more people like me. And so I need to invite those people and I need to invite Jesus and his other disciples. And we're going to just get together and we're going to have a big party. This is a large crowd of tax collectors and others are there with Jesus, eating with Jesus. Guys, that's the first thing. It's the first thing that Levi does after answering Jesus' call to follow him. What results? What results from answering Jesus' call to follow him? I'm going to join him in fishing for men. I'm going to throw a dinner party. I'm going to get my friends together with Jesus. I'm going to introduce my friends to Jesus. Because in light of that, how are you doing in following Jesus? Let me evaluate. How are you doing in following Jesus? See, It's so easy to reduce following Jesus down to trying to live a holy life, avoid the bad sins, try to do the good things, and to try to keep up with spiritual disciplines. Those are important. But man, if you reduce it down to that, you've missed the first thing. Pharisees show up at this party next. You'll see it in a minute. And guys, what's interesting is that the, 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 these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're the group that has reduced following God to trying to live a holy life, avoiding, avoiding sin, and just keeping up with spiritual disciplines. And as a result, when they show up at this scene, they are extremely confused they do not understand why in the world Jesus and his disciples would be eating with these people. In fact, look, here's what it says, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, <laughs> they're, just, they're just confounded. They just don't understand. Like, why in the world would you be doing this? Like, we, we would actually think following God would lead you to not do this, to not associate with, with people that they deemed unclean, these tax collectors and these sinners. And so they'd say, okay, Jesus, like, well, I don't get it. And so they asked Jesus' disciples, why are you eating with these people? But Jesus hears the question, and he speaks up, verse 31. And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, why are we eating with tax collectors and sinners? Well, it's because that's the reason I have come. This is who I have come to call. This is what I am about. And I have 
come to heal the, the sick, the spiritually sick. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And implied in Jesus' answer is this. If you ask my disciples, why are they eating with tax collectors and sinners? Well, here's the answer. Because that's remember, that's who the Pharisees asked. They asked the disciples. And Jesus implied in his answer is, the reason that my disciples are eating with tax collectors and sinners is because they are following me. And this is what I've come to do. And so they're doing what I'm doing. Guys, when, when you evaluate if you're following Jesus, I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard question, but it's worth asking. Do you, do you look more like the Pharisees or more like the disciples who were really following Jesus? You, you look more like someone who's just trying to avoid bad sins and, and, and do the right things and keep up with your spiritual disciplines. Or is there, like, active in your life this, this pursuit of people with Jesus, inviting them to be restored to God? Is that happening? Are you following Jesus? See, as a church family, we, we, we say, okay, we long to see the day when every man, woman, and child in Austin has heard the gospel from someone who loves them. And, and, and so as a church family, we try to help each other follow Jesus by partnering with Jesus to get the gospel, the good news of what he's done, out to the people he's placed in our lives. And then month of May, one of the things that we're doing as a church, and one of the things I want to invite you to participate in, in case you, you, you haven't decided yet, is that we, we're, we're going to say, hey, you know, Levi, it seemed like he had a good idea there. What if we do something like that? What if we have supper clubs? Or you can call them dinner parties, whatever floats your boat. But you say, okay, let, let, let me invite some of my friends who, who don't know Jesus and I'm going to get them together around a meal. And I'm going to invite Jesus to be there. I'm going to pray that Jesus shows up in our conversation. And we're going to talk about, and as a church, we're encouraging us to have these dinner parties and just, just ha- open up the conversation to be about you know, what, you know, your life story or your major things in your life that have influenced you and kind of shaped you to be the person that you are so that you can hang out with your friends and your neighbors or your coworkers and you get to know them better. And they get to know you better. And when it's your turn to tell your story, you choose to not, you know, chicken out, but to to be bold and not preachy, not overly, you know, weird, but, but not downplay the role that Jesus has had in your life and how he's impacted you and the influence he's had. And with the hope that our friends hearing that would, 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 would perhaps become a little bit curious about Jesus. And, and, and maybe ask you a question, probably not in that setting, but later on. And that this would be one way that we can try to build trust and build friendships, deepen friendships that God's given us, and, and, and incite some kind of level of curiosity about Jesus. That we would have a supper club. And it would be a, 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 just one way. It's not the only way by any means, but it's one way that we would say, okay, yeah, let's follow Jesus. This is a part of what it looks like to follow him. Let's invite my friends who don't know him. Let's have dinner together. Let's hang out. Let's have fun. And let's invite Jesus to the table as well.
and see what happens. As a, if, if you're at all curious about wanting to know how to do that, or if you're all interest, at all interested in doing that, I want to point you back to the connection card, and there's a place, a box there about supper clubs. If you check that box, we'll call you this week, and we'll just we'll, we'll say, one, like, that's awesome. We want to help. And in any way we can possibly help you think through how to do that or resource you to do that, like, we're there for that. But as a church family, like, I'll, I'll tell you, right now we know of 29 families or, or households that are going to do supper clubs in the month of May. It's pretty cool, right? 29, that's awesome. And so we don't know how many friends, but, but potentially hundreds of friends get, get to have a chance to, to sit at a meal and have fun with each other, get to know one another, build trust with each other. And, and, and maybe some people get curious about Jesus. So anyways, that's a cool thing. I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Because it's one of the ways it looks like to follow Jesus. Okay, now, last thing I want to say this morning, because I know that that, yeah, that, that idea is it, it, it's probably out of many of our comfort zones, right? And I know that this idea probably, uh, you know, is, yeah, stretch, stretching, whatever. Like, it's not the easiest. Like, let me, can I just, can I just, Read the Bible a couple times a week in the morning and, and say that that's following Jesus. That would be a lot easier, right? I mean, I get that. And so let me ask one more question in this text, and that is, why follow Jesus? Why follow Jesus? And to answer that, I, I want us to just go back to Levi at the beginning of this passage. See, think about this with me. Why do you think he responded the way that he did when Jesus invited Levi to follow him? Like, you remember in verse 28? Why did he respond that way? Why did he leave, get up immediately, leave everything, and follow Jesus? I mean, that's, that's pretty radical, right? Well, I can tell you, guys, it was not in order to get Jesus to accept him or love him. And it was not... Because he felt like he had to. <laughs> he hadn't done anything to deserve it. He didn't, when Jesus came and made the invitation to follow him, he's sitting in the tax booth. So if Jesus is inviting him to have that close of relationship and partner with him to that degree, it's not like, oh, well, I got to go do this in order for Jesus to want to have that kind of relationship with me and love me and accept me and invite me to be a part of this. No, he hadn't done anything. It wasn't because he was doing it because he felt like he had to or in order to be loved. Friends, why did he get up and go? Why did Levi follow Jesus? Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he talks about living as an ambassador of Christ. And, and how God's making his appeal through us for people to be reconciled to God. And early in that passage, he says, this is why we do it. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. And friends, I tell you, when, Luke, I mean, when, when Matthew, when Levi is sitting in that tax booth and Jesus comes up to him and invites him to follow him, he was shocked. By the love and acceptance of Christ. Me, a tax collector, I'm an enemy of God. I turn my back on my people. 
You want me? The love, the grace, unlike anything he has ever experienced at that moment, he said, I'm in. This is the love. This is the grace that I've always looked for. You're inviting me into a better story. You're inviting me in to be with you. I'm in. Guys, the love of Christ is the reason why we would follow Jesus. Why host a supper club? Why do anything to partner with God to help people know how to be restored back to God, to invite people to be reconciled to God? Why do that? Because you have to? No. Because you have to do it in order for God to love you? No. He already has. He already loves you. Even when you absolutely didn't deserve it, just like me and just like Levi. And it's in when that truth comes home to your heart, friends, when you recognize how bad your sin and yet how great the love of God for you, when Jesus chooses to lay down his own life in your place, then Christ's love will compel you and you'll choose to follow him. That's the first reason why. There's one other reason in this text that's given. And that is what Jesus says in verse 31. See, because in in verse 31 and verse 32, Jesus does say, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Because when we see people like Jesus sees people, When we recognize that if it wasn't for Jesus pursuing us, and most of us, our stories are that Jesus used someone in our lives to help us know who he is and our need for him. When When we come to understand how Jesus has pursued us and our great need for him and what he did for us, it helps us see that our friends... They need that too. That we were sick and we needed to be healed by Jesus. And we were sinners and we needed to repent. And all of us know people that God has placed in our lives. So Jesus says, this is the people I've come for. Not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Not come for the righteous, but for the sinners who need repentance. And he wants to partner with you. He invites you to partner with him, to allow him to use you to take the gospel, the good news, to these people, to love them in the name of Jesus, and to extend the invitation to them to be reconciled to God. And guys, they need to be reconciled to God. And when you will see them like Jesus sees them, that moves us to choose to follow Jesus. It's Christ's love that compels us, and it's the need of our friends. That moves us as well. To partner with God and guys to live for a story that's better than living for a Volvo or the weekend. To say, no, no, Jesus, that you would invite me, though I didn't deserve it, to partner with you in the greatest story of all time, a story that you're telling how you are going to fulfill your promise to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, 
that story and I can play a part with you in that no matter who I am and what I've done or even what I'm doing. I can leave all that behind and I can come after you and your love for me will compel me to go. I'm in. Guys, are you in? I invite you to be in. May Christ's love compel you to be in. We're going to end this message by taking communion. And we take communion, which is, as we began the series, the, the meal by which Jesus most clearly communicated the purpose of his death. And we're going to take this and we're going to ask that as we take the bread and we take the cup, that God would help impress upon us, remind us of his incredible love for us. That Jesus' body was broken and that his blood was poured out so that we can be restored to God, that we can be reconciled to God, that we, the sick, can be healed. As 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you have been healed. Because that's what we're remembering. By his wounds we've been healed. May the love of Christ then compel us to go with him and extend the same invitation to people he's placed in our lives. Let me pray. And you're welcome to come and take communion in the front and the back. Anyone who's placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ is welcome to come to the communion table and take this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that in your incredible love and grace, you didn't leave us in our sin, but Jesus, you came after us. You pursued us, and that by your wounds that we are healed, that you lay down your life for us, that we can be restored to you through faith in him. And God, we are also just blown away that you, you don't just want to save us, as amazing as that is. But God, you then invite us to partner with you in your work to literally save the world. God, would we respond, compelled by your love and seeing the people in our lives as you see them, and Lord, join with you to follow you. God, grow us in this area. We need you, God. May we choose to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.